It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 826 for the 7th of April, 2023. This week, you probably already know about the importance of keeping your computer, notebook, or tablet computer clean and up-to-date, just as you ensure that your car is maintained properly. But what about your smartphone? In short circuits, when you're on vacation with the kids, having some motion pictures along can make travel time easier, but nobody wants to carry a stack of discs. Legally, it is a gray area, but you can rip DVDs and Blu-ray discs to smartphones and tablets. The Kerbango Internet Radio was introduced at PC Expo in 2000, but the project was discontinued a year later before even one unit could be sold. Now, Internet radios are being manufactured by several companies. And 20 years ago, only on the website, I've had only minimal success using Windows Restore Points over the years, but it did work exactly the way it was supposed to once in 2003. A well-maintained automobile runs better and is safer than one that hasn't been serviced regularly, and the same is true for computers, tablets, and smartphones. I frequently talk about the importance of backup, and I got a personalized reminder around the 1st of March about why. During my month in assisted living, I moved a spreadsheet that I used to track information for a client to Google Drive. I did that so I'd have access to it with the Surface 6 Pro tablet. After returning home, I copied the spreadsheet back to the local directory and deleted it from Google Drive. Or, more accurately, I thought I did. When I opened the file in early March, I recognized it as the version from last December, not the one with the most recent updates. Oops. I knew it wouldn't be anywhere on the disk drive, and because my local backup system propagates deletions, it wouldn't be on the working files backup either, or the weekly local backups. Well, Google Drive retains files for 30 days, but I had deleted it more than 30 days ago. However, CrashPlan retains versions, and I back up Google Drive files to CrashPlan. By default, CrashPlan keeps deleted files for at least 90 days, and I had last edited the spreadsheet just a day or two before I had deleted it from Google Drive. So the solution was easy. Set the target date to the day I edited the file, restore it from CrashPlan to Google Drive, confirm it was the version I needed, copy it back to the working location, Location on the local computer and then delete it once again from Google Drive. That's why backup is so important, and it's why you should backup files before making any significant changes. That's also why the lead-in to the importance of running a clean machine starts with the importance of maintaining a good backup. There are lots of articles that describe how to keep a computer running well, not so many for smartphones. And there are substantial differences between computers and phones. I'll be dealing primarily with Android phones here, but processes for iOS phones and iPadOS tablets are similar. 
Start by keeping applications organized on the phone. I put the apps that I use most often on the primary screen, along with the basic weather information. Each item on the main screen requires just a single tap to start. The five applications I want to have available on all screens are pinned at the bottom of the screen. Apps on the second screen are the ones that I use less frequently, and many of the icons open a sub-menu of icons. The Reading Group, for example, contains Playbooks, the Libby Book Reader, the Kindle Book Reader, the Worthington Libraries app, and dictionary apps from Dictionary.com and Merriam-Webster. Android users can place the icon for an app in more than one location, which allows me to have the bank app on the first screen, as well as in a finance group on the second screen. To the best of my knowledge, this is not possible with Apple devices. I also use the Nova Launcher instead of the built-in Android Launcher. To create a folder on an Android phone, identify two apps that you want to combine into a group. Press and hold one of the apps until a menu pops up. If your phone has an option to lock the start screen, you might see a warning about that. If so, follow the instructions and then press and hold the app's icon again. Once the menu pops up, you can drag the icon on top of the other app's icon and release it. Add icons by dragging them to the folder. To name the folder, press and hold the icon, then choose Edit from the menu. On an Apple phone or tablet, tap and hold the home screen until the apps wiggle, then drag an app onto another app to create a folder. To add more apps, just drag them on top of that new folder. And to name the folder, press and hold it, then tap Rename and enter a new name. Tap Done when you're finished, and then tap the home screen background twice. Okay, so now that the phone is organized, it's time to find things to remove, but only after you're sure that essential files have been backed up. If you need help learning how to back up data and photos on your phone, see the Asurion website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website for a guide. The guide covers both Apple and Android devices. Asurion owns U-Break iFix repair shops with nearly 400 locations around the United States, and it sells protection plans for phones, electronics, and major appliances. Then, once you have all your data backed up and apps organized on the screen, it's time to see what needs to be cleaned. The closer your phone's memory is to full, the slower it will run. Are there apps you no longer use? Are there photos and videos on the phone that are backed up and not needed on the phone anymore? Removing unneeded apps will free space and might allow the phone to run faster. To remove an unwanted app from most Android phones, press and hold the icon for the app. If the screen is locked, unlock it, and then press and hold the icon for the app again until the pop-up menu appears. One of the options should be Remove. Tap that and then confirm the choice. Some Android phones show an uninstall prompt at the top of the screen. If your phone does that, drag the icon there and release it. On an Apple device, press and hold the app you want to remove until a menu pops up, then tap Remove App and Delete App. To eliminate photos and videos from the phone after you're sure they've been backed up, use the cleanup process from the Settings menu. Both Android and Apple devices have this option. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, 
and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, when you take the family for a long trip, a vacation for example, maybe you'd like to be able to entertain the kids with videos in the car. But taking a stack of DVDs or Blu-ray discs might be a problem even if you have a device in the car that will play the discs. Let's consider some options. Some tablet and notebook computers used to have optical disc players, but few do now. You can't buy an external disc player that connects to a USB port, but you still have to take the discs along. And the external device. Obviously, that's not ideal because the discs can be lost, damaged, or destroyed. Likewise, the player. Wouldn't it be better if you could play DVDs and Blu-ray discs on your phone? It is possible, but a couple of problems need to be solved first. Just copying the files from the optical disk to the phone won't be possible in most cases because of copy protection schemes. There are applications that can remove the copy protection and create an ISO file, but there are some legal issues here. Ripping copy-protected disks, even for personal use, is technically illegal in the United States. This really should change for those who simply want to view the resulting files from disks they've purchased on a computer, a tablet, or a phone. But as long as you're not planning to break the copy protection and sell or give away copies, it's unlikely you'll find FBI agents at your front door. Note, I am not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. If you create ISO files, there is still a problem, though. Those files are huge. A Blu-ray ISO file will be around 24 megabytes, and a DVD ISO file will be around 4.5 megabytes. Space is limited on smartphones, so finding a way to shrink those ISO files would be helpful. One of the better applications to perform that task is Handbrake. Using Handbrake's default settings, I converted an ISO Blu-ray disc file from 24 megabytes to just slightly over 3 megabytes, and a DVD ISO file from 4.5 megabytes to 1.5 megabytes. The Blu-ray conversion required about 40 minutes, the DVD conversion completed in about 8 minutes. Unless you're ripping your own home videos, you will probably need to remove copy protection first. Handbrake cannot deal with copy protection. For that, you'll need an application such as WinX DVD Ripper Platinum, which can remove copy protection and output MP4 video files. Or DVD Fab's DVD Copy, which can copy all the content of a disc or just the main program to an ISO file. Another option for removing copy protection is the VLC Media Player with a special dynamic link library file that allows VLC to ignore many kinds of copy protection methods. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website, so read the instructions on the VLC website for how to install that special DLL file. The resulting ISO file can be played on a computer, but 
the size of that file is going to be a problem on a smartphone with its limited storage. So part two is reducing the size of the file. I like Handbrake for this function. It runs on Windows, the Mac OS, and Linux. You have to start with a file that has no copy protection, and the interface is a little complicated. The advantage is that users have a great deal of control over the output file's size and format. There are file types that work on computers, mobile devices, game consoles, and set-top boxes. You can select the file type, change the output size, choose a codec, and even fiddle with the frame rate. If you want to skip the separate step of removing copy protection, it might be possible to use that special DLL file with Handbrake. But programs such as DVD Fab's DVD Copy are updated frequently to deal with new encryption schemes. I use the weasel word may there because when I tried that setup with Handbrake, it didn't work. The easiest way to use Handbrake is simply to select the source file, specify an output directory, and start the process. The defaults are good, but you can specify smaller files, better quality, and other settings by learning how to use the tabs in the output setting section. Fortunately, there is an online manual for Handbrake, and you'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you want even smaller files, choose one of the presets with lower resolution, such as 720p or even 480p. That's about equivalent to the resolution of traditional television sets. Despite the high resolution of screens on smartphones and tablets, the physical size of those devices mean you won't really see the lower quality. You will, though, if you try to play back the video on a high-resolution screen. Some videos are recorded at 60 frames per second, and cutting the frame rate in half to 30 frames per second will dramatically reduce the size of the output file. I tried running Handbrake again on my DVD ISO file using 720p resolution instead of HD. I also specified the H.265 codec instead of H.264. The resulting file was 520 kilobytes instead of 1.5 megabytes. Further reducing the output size to 480p reduced the file a little bit, but less than expected. If you've been taking long vacations and the kids' phones have severely limited space for motion pictures, shrinking those files will help a lot. I also tried the 480p setting that uses H.264 for Android devices. The resulting file was 1.6 megabytes. For best results, you'll want to do a bit of experimenting and testing, as well as spending some time with the manual. Now, I've mentioned codecs a few times here, and maybe you're wondering what I'm yammering on about. Codec is a combination of code and decode. Codec. It's a process that shrinks data files and then restores the files at playback time. If the application you're using offers the ability to play H.265 files, that's the one you should choose, even though the default will probably be H.264. H.264 replaced MPEG-2 because it does a better job of reducing bitrate. It is currently the most commonly used video encoding format on Blu-ray discs, and most streaming internet services use it. H.265 is also known as high-efficiency video coding, and it can reduce the size of a video 25% to 50% more than H.264. So when you have a choice, pick H.265.
You can download the program from the Handbrake website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And just remember, don't give copies of commercial DVDs to your friends. And certainly, don't sell them. Streaming audio services are common today. Most radio stations stream their programming, and it's not hard to find both live and recorded podcasts, some of which sound a lot like radio stations. A couple of weeks ago, I described StreamWriter. That's an application that plays radio stations that offer streaming services and internet-only streaming radio stations. All this reminded me that the expectation in 2000 was much different. In June 2000, at PC Expo in New York City, 3Com loaded a small group of journalists into a bus, took us uptown to a house that demonstrated futuristic uses of the Internet. Keep in mind that the Internet service providers back then connected one computer per home to the Internet. If you wanted to connect more computers, you needed to pay for each computer separately. Time Warner had just signed up with Sohoware, and they were going to provide what they called at that time a distribution box that would provide wired or wireless connections for any device in a home that needed an internet connection. Well, today we call those things routers, and just about everybody who has an internet connection has a router. I remember, perhaps accurately, that the 3Com demo showed how the furnace and air conditioner, lights, and some appliances would be controlled by the computer. But what looked like an old radio from the 1950s was sitting on a table in one of the rooms. Well, it was a radio, we were told, but one that received its programming from the Internet. I might have had a couple of thoughts back then. First, countries behind the Iron Curtain, the Soviet bloc, had wired radios. Second, the radio was the size of a bread box, and transistor radios were both tiny and portable. Would anybody really want a radio that was big, possibly heavy, and tied down to a cable? Well, the answer turned out to be no. The Kerbango had been discontinued by 2001, and 3Com made enough mistakes that it went out of business in 2010, with assets going to Hewlett-Packard. One of those mistakes might have been buying Kerbango in 2000 for $80 million. In those days, that was a lot of money. According to Wikipedia, a Linux Journal article referred to the Kerbango 100E, the prototype, as looking like a cross between an old Wurlitzer jukebox and the dashboard of a 54 Buick. Although it was advertised on Amazon, it never shipped. The Kerbango had a built-in AM-FM tuner, and it required a broadband connection for the Internet streaming. So it was interesting when I received the March 6th issue of Radio World magazine. It noted that 4% of homes in the U.S. had no radio in 2008. That increased to 39% in 2022. You won't find many tabletop radios in any store, with the exception of weather radios and clock radios. I still have an old floor model Farnsworth. It hasn't worked for several decades. It's the radio that I used to listen to the BBC, Deutsche Welle, Radio Moscow, and others in the 1960s. Yes, old radios sometimes included shortwave bands. 
Today's tabletop radios are more like the 3Com Kerbango because people spend more time listening to streaming services. The article in Radio World illustrates several AM-FM internet radios, some of which have built-in CD players, as if anyone really used CDs these days. I wonder if any of these radios have decent AM receptions. I live about five miles from a 5,000-watt AM station, no more than 15 miles from the transmitter sites of two other 5,000-watt AM stations, but a replacement clock radio I bought a couple of years ago can't play any of them well enough to listen to. That hasn't really been a problem, because the radio stations I listen to are all on FM. You won't need a radio to check out 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This year, I remember a time in 2003 when, against all odds, using a system restore point actually worked. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session.